Hello and welcome to the Food Climate Podcast. I'm Guillaume, your host, and each week, I'm fortunate to share with you stories from climate tech founders, investors, and corporations sharing their unique insights into this fast-moving industry. Eventually, like me, you will learn, discover, and get inspired by those unique men and women who are contributing to the fight against climate change, and I hope it will help you to take a step in this formidable movement. So before we start, I just want to share a few words about us as this podcast is just the tip of the iceberg of what we do at Startup Basecamp to support climate tech movement. Our mission is to accelerate capital deployment towards climate tech founders, allowing them to focus on scaling their solutions. How do we do that? Every day, we help founders access to resources and connections and gain the visibility they need to expand their growth. We do this in a number of ways with a membership platform, a Slack group with a growing number of founders, investors, and experts from around the world. And recently, we went one step further with a matching services to connect founders with top climate tech investors. Keep in mind that we are able to do all of this thanks to the support of our listeners and our members. Please like and subscribe share one episode with a friend, join a community, and if you haven't already done so, make a small donation to support our work. It really means the world to us. And now, enjoy the show! Hi everyone, today on the Tech for Climate podcast, I meet with Francesca Whitehead, VP of Fifth World, specifically working on the climate front. Fifth World are the largest asset manager focused on modernizing, future-proofing, and decarbonizing the built environment, and their LPs include 110 of the largest owners, operators, and developers of real estate across 15 countries. Currently, I have 125 portfolio companies across both climate tech and prop tech. I was excited to speak with Francesca, who grew up in Vietnam and Hong Kong before heading to the US to study and has been there until very recently when she was asked to relocate to London to jumpstart Fifth World's European Climate Tech, investing as a fund. Francesca started her career in climate tech immediately after university, working in Goldman Investment Banking covering natural resources before joining the KKR Global Impact Fund's inaugural She then went on to join G2VP Fund focused on applying emerging tech, improving inefficiencies and sustainability in traditional industries across a variety of sectors before joining Fifth Wall at the end of last year. In this episode, Francesca deep dives with us into the mining industry's impact on climate change and the importance of introducing sustainable practices and solutions. She speaks about the negative impacts of the industry, not only from emissions, but also pollution, waste, land degradation, and human rights. We discuss existing solutions from electric vehicles to the electrification of machinery and also the potential role of corporate ventures in driving innovation and sustainability in the mining industry. The second part of the show, Francesca gives tips for founders 
for fundraising and shares the differences she noticed in founders' pitches between Europe and the US. She also shares the routine for maintaining a healthy work-life balance and her love for podcasts. Francesca, welcome to the show. Hi, Francesca. Welcome to the Tech for Climate podcast. I'm super excited to have you here with us today. I'm looking for this great opportunity to hear your story and get up to speed on what you guys are looking at with Fifth Wall, the largest venture capital firm focused on technology for the global real estate industry. And so that at Fifth Wall, sorry, you guys invest in technology companies tackling some of the most pressing real world problems, such as climate change, for a better and more sustainable world. So welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. It's a long time that we know each other uh, already. Yeah. And we've been exchanging quite a bit. So I'm super excited to finally have you on, uh, on the show. So before we start, uh, that's the tradition here. Can you give us a 30 second introduction about Fifth World? Yeah, happy to. Um, you know, some of some of which you've already covered. So, but I'll just kind of go through the whole thing here. Uh, so, Fifth Wall, as you said, largest asset manager, focused on modernizing, future proofing, and decarbonizing the built environment. And with that, we kind of have three billion AUM across all the different funds that we have. So, our LP base uh, includes 110 of the largest owners, operators, developers of real estate across 15 countries. Just to give a couple examples, that's you know, like things like CBRE, Seagrow, Related. Toll Brothers, Lennar, British Land, Marriott, Hilton, BNP Paribas. So we have over 125 portfolio companies in what I believe to be the category leading um, companies across both climate tech and prop tech. So as we kind of, it's implied, I'm part of the climate fund. And so the climate fund specifically at Fifth Wall is focused on investing in solutions that bring the built environment to net zero. Uh, The built environment is one of the largest industries. It's an incredibly important industry. But it's also a significant contributor to uh, global emissions. About 40% of overall uh, global carbon emissions can be uh, tied to the built environment. And so when we kind of think about making the building net zero, that's everything from feeding things that are feeding into the building, like the grid, um, the embodied carbon in the construction process, to actually operating the building itself, uh, waste coming out of it, what what are the tenants getting delivered, um, you know, just you're thinking about your scope three, energy used by the data centers, et cetera, et cetera. And then also on the other side, like what's coming out of the building on the end of life side of things, all the products that are being manufactured in the building as well. Um, and then kind of final chunk is it's a very hard to obey industry. So how do we leverage the carbon markets to kind of help with this net zero transition? So that's a little bit about us. And it's a lot, which is super exciting <laughs> to see so many uh, interesting people and uh, putting uh, you know resource capital and aggregating the industry at around a better and cleaner world uh, with uh, tremendous opportunities to, to change the game. Yes. So let's start from the top. We like to focus first on the, on, on the guest as a person. Uh, we prefer uh, that than the, just the, the full uh, history and resume and uh, education and background there. So who are you uh, as a person? I mean, uh, what are you passionate about? What do you do besides supporting and investing in these uh, exciting companies? I mean, what makes you feel inspired? Like, as I always ask, who is Francesca? Yeah, so I mean, I can start with, I guess, like feeling inspired. So, I mean, there's one part on the venture capital side, like what gets me excited as a VC? I think a lot of us probably would say something similar, but it's really wanting to be the one that finds sort of that next big founder and whatever that sector may be. Uh, yeah, then whatever the one you 
you may operate in being the person that find, kind of finds that person is sort of my North star at least, but I think I can speak for a lot of VCs in that regard. And then on the other side with the climate tech side, um, it's like I grew up in Vietnam and Hong Kong mostly. I think some of the worst parts of climate change, which is kind of front and center for me from such a young age. And so just thinking about the environment is a very big part of kind of my North star as well. Uh, I've spent my entire career focused on climate tech so that that's kind of where I have always been focused on. And that's that's where I hope to continue spending the rest of my career. So maybe tell us a little bit uh, about your, uh, you know, previous work life uh, experience during Fifth World. I mean, if you could recall maybe one or two uh, pieces of uh, experiences in a way that gave you an edge to, to join the firm. Yeah, why not? Um, so, I mean, as I mentioned, grew up Hong Kong, Vietnam uh, in the UK mostly, and then I went to the US for university and have stayed ever since. And that's where the vast majority of my career has been. It was there fully until recently. Uh, I started my career at Goldman Investment Banking um, and I was covering natural resources whilst I was there. And this is where I say is where I began my journey of understanding sort of the needs and complexities of many of these traditional industries that I now spend my day to day thinking about investing in. So, and then after Goldman, um, I was part of the inaugural team at the KKR Global Impact Fund. Uh, here, I was sourcing and uh, working in deals across transportation, energy transition, advanced materials, food and ag, and also K through 12. Uh, the deal that I worked on once I was there um, was uh, one of, it was a buyout of, our, um, the deal that I worked on once I was there was for a buyout called on, in a company called Graduation Alliance. And so at the time, it was sort of the largest deal to date. Um, and then right before Fifth Wall, I was at a fund called G2VP. It's a growth-focused climate fund that spun out of Kleiner Perkins. There, I focused on kind of variety of sectors as well, but really what their special source is, is applying emerging tech to improving inefficiencies and sustainability in traditional industries. And my coverage areas were you know, fashion, construction, supply chains, food and ag, voluntary carbon markets. And I was involved in G2's transactions in produce pay, uh, which is kind of ag fintech, pivot bio, replacing synthetic nitrogen in the row crop growing process, trove. B2B e-commerce platform, and then finally Oyster, which is kind of a digitized PEO business. And then <laughs> I, yeah, and then I joined Fifth Wall kind of end of last year, um, normally based in New York. And I was asked to move out to London beginning of this year uh, to really start kind of jumpstart our European climate tech investing as a fund. We have a global mandate, uh, but no one had really been dedicated to sourcing here, meeting founders in Europe, uh, going to European conferences, and just kind of embedding us in the VC ecosystem here. Um, so that that's what I've been doing uh, and have been doing that for a little bit now. Um, and then just to quickly run through some of the deals that I've worked on since being at Fifth Wall. So one is N0, carbon accounting company. Second one, Solar Cycle, uh, a solar panel recycling business. We did both the Series A and the infrastructure sleeve. And then Voltaire, um, it's a company based in Prague that is kind of marketplace for heat pump procurement and installation as well. So Exciting. just like, like yeah, well, and as I said, the to, uh... is always climate. <laughs> <laughs> So I think uh, doing this bridge between the both sides of the Atlantic is definitely uh, super important, and in uh, Europe and uh, are looking towards uh, the US, and US is looking toward uh, you know the European uh, ecosystem too. So uh, it's super exciting. So prior speaking a, a little bit more in detail about uh, Fifth Wall, I'd like to take a zoom out and uh, a step back and discover a bit more uh, with you the the mining sector, the, the challenges mm -hmm. and opportunity. Why does it matter in the in the context of the the fight against climate change? I mean. 
why is it why is it sometimes such like a hate love relationship uh, as we <laughs> all know we need uh, ex, you know those minerals uh, to empower the electrification of the decarbonization of the oil economy so maybe we can start by uh, you know if you could give us to the to the audience your, your overview of the of the current situation in terms of uh, the impact that the mining industry at large uh, has uh, and its contribution uh, uh, to GHG emissions but far beyond uh, as we were like uh, speaking prior to the interview is like it's not just the emission i think mining is like the footprint is way uh way deeper than that um maybe let's let's cover that try to understand like you know uh this might the magnitude of the of the problem that we're talking about if you have some you know data points maybe that you could uh share uh, with us absolutely and i always we'll start with kind of the elevator pitch for why mining tech is so important is it's a, it's a sort of the essential component for us to transition to a net zero economy. We are moving from an oil and gas industry to a metals and mining industry. We can't have electric cars. We can't have energy storage. We can't have solar panels without mining. So that's sort of the why it's so important and why we all need to care about it, elevator pitch. But in terms of some of the love-hate relationship, as you say, some of the stats around it is that even right now, before we've kind of made that transition, it's a, it's kind of, it contributes to 5% of global emissions. Um, and the other things that we talk through, it's that there's also a tremendous amount of water pollution. There's a lot of toxic chemicals and there's a lot of water that's used during kind of the extraction process. And so with that, a lot of that can kind of be leached into local communities and into the water sources as well. Another piece, mining is quite, quite wasteful with the way we currently do it. Uh, when you kind of are operating a mine, um, a lot of it actually just kind of stays in the ground, becomes this like slurry mix of chemicals and crushed rock that isn't actually that useful. And so it's about 20% of what's extracted from a mine that's actually useful. And the rest of it is just kind of left in the ground for to stay there, which right now I think globally it's about 280 billion tons of tailings kind of exist. And this is not only bad for the environment, it's also bad for the mining company that's already you know, it's a sunk cost financially to build a mine. Why wouldn't they want to extract more out of that? And then going forward, they also have to spend money to manage it so that it doesn't cause negative environmental impacts, all of that. And then land degradation is sort of another one as well. Mines, again, kind of the way we build them right now, they're quite destructive to the local land. Um, so it's soil erosion, destruction of habitat, deforestation. All of these are kind of problems um, as we are accelerating and thinking about coming to net zero. There's and just a couple of stats on that net zero transition as well. So you know, they're sort of estimated that in order for us to fully transition, that just for lithium itself, we're going to have to 5x from 2020 to 2030 in terms of demand for lithium alone, let alone all the other metals that are also kind of part of that energy transition. To get a, a deeper understanding of this, you know, tremendous change, and thanks for already like framing uh, the, the the context here. I mean, uh, prior to diving into uh, more like the emerging solutions that uh, that you you see, uh, could you tell us? I mean, maybe share with us a little bit. Like, I mean, what uh, you know about the type of elements, raw material extracted, which are the the ones that are the most uh, you know. Uh, impactful uh creating the most impact uh, do you see like different in terms of like the type of mine uh in itself where are those mine located i mean are we speaking about like just the us or like australia or like other countries i mean is there like any like specific areas where uh, the impact again uh and therefore the regulation will be different i believe uh so I mean, yeah. and in this value chain of the, the mining process itself, as you have been digging and trying to understand how things work and where uh, things are not working as well, where do you see these, uh, those impacts? So um, 
help us to understand that a little bit more. Yeah, I mean, um, one thing on on that specific topic too, I think about 60% of rare earth materials right now is mined um, in China. And so again, as we kind of think about us trying to be less dependent on China, US and EU both have these mandates of trying to do that. Obviously, this is a big push with that. If we're kind of transitioning to a net zero economy, but 60% of the raw materials are coming from there, that's probably not kind of in keeping with what we are trying to uh, achieve as an economy. So it's kind of one piece. And again, as we all know, there are a lot of mines like uh, that are in like the Congo, for example, where there are kind of potential human rights issues even that, and again, not environmentally part of that kind of equation, but there are human rights issues that are being uh, that are under consideration too. Um, Australia also has a lot of mines, as does the US, but th those are kind of the things I would highlight um, specifically to kind of to answer that question. And then in terms of the second part of your question around the metals itself, um, again, mining in and of itself is already bad, but there are certainly ones that are worse. So mining for or producing like aluminum is one of the worst ones. Um, yeah, so that that's kind of one that immediately pops to mind. But all of it does um all of it does produce a lot of emissions because right now vast majority of mines are in very very remote locations they can't rely on the grid right or they can't rely on they, there are some solutions around energy storage and batteries on site but largely they're still all the machinery is driven by um, generators and that's a lot of the emission comes from and then also the transportation costs given that it's so remote how do we get it to where it actually needs to be processed And and what about the, the processing of those uh, those rocks? I mean, like you extract them. I've been you know traveling in Australia. I saw those humongous trucks, uh, like probably uh, three times my yeah. uh, my size, uh, like moving around those like huge blocks. But then uh, they all go to a processing plant. Like how is that processing yep. plant also like in terms of like emission and impact? Is that something large or is it really the extraction per se and the explosive that you need to put in the ground to uh, that has the, the larger impact? If if anything can be weighted. I, I mean, it all. I, I wouldn't say I'm weighting them against one another. I think we need to reduce all of it because mining is, it's just a hard debate industry, similar to real estate. I don't think we're going to get to fully, fully zero, um, probably in my lifetime uh, in this industry. And so we should try and reduce it every single step of the way. And yes, processing also has a tremendously uh, impact on the environment as well. Um, same as any other industrial process. Of course, it has. it's also very bad for the environment. So prior speaking about like, uh, you know, the, the current sol solution in place and the upcoming ones in terms of uh, mining technology that you, you see, uh, can you maybe just uh, refresh the audience in terms of like, how is the market organized? I mean, uh, is it like a fully distributed market? Is it like a few large players uh, who are owning uh, the, the, the main main different uh, categories and has the, the larger extraction uh, you know power there I mean what are the incentives also for those ones in a way to uh, clean uh, their operation and go to a more sustainable uh, mining uh, you know process and approach and yeah um so on the first part of your questions in terms of the players, there are there is a benefit of having economies of scale in this industry. So on the extraction side, also on the processing side. And so there are kind of some very, very large players that do control a lot of the market. And I think we know some of those names. It's things like BHP, Glencore, Rio Tinto, um, Vale, um, kind of et cetera, et cetera. So there's a lot of different players, Agro-American. Um, so there are some really large players, but there is actually a long tail of other um, companies that own one or two mines on something specific. Uh, so there is kind of 
variety there. But yes, in terms of the vast majority of the industry, it is controlled by those big players that we know the names of. So, you know, knowing now that, uh, you know, there's all of those large players, um, what is the incentive for them in a way to, uh, or the, maybe it's the stick or maybe it's the carrot. I don't know. Why do they, I mean, how is the current situation? Are they incentivized to move towards a cleaner, uh, you know, mining process at large uh, or it's, uh, still something that is uh, a little bit uh, up in the air and maybe the ESG report uh, is the one that they want to they want to push for yeah i i do think so i'm less familiar with the regulation in australia but from my understanding the government does have pretty strict reporting requirements for uh, publicly traded companies and a lot of the companies we just mentioned are australian companies so it's kind of one thing that i think probably is driving some of it um and then also in terms of the kind of ESG reporting side of things, mining companies, they know that this is an issue. They're 5% of global um, emissions. Like They know this. It's not like it's news to them. Uh, but there isn't, there historically hasn't been that much focus on spending and uh, mining technology. I think it's like 0.5% of venture dollars goes into mining. So that's obviously a very small amount. Um, and so a lot of them have had to develop the tech themselves. They're being a little bit left behind and a little worried about it too. I think a lot of the pressure in the long run will come from actually other companies. If you are sourcing anything that's based on metals, your scope three emission is going to quickly also include <laughs> what's happening at the mine. And so I think there's going to be a lot of downward pressure in that way. Um, but also mining industries, again, as I said earlier, it's a very, very difficult to abate industry. So again, they will definitely... Um, Look, they're looking ahead to kind of get ahead of this problem. And a lot of these mining companies actually do have corporate venture arms. Like I know BHP does, I know Rio Tinto does. And so they are trying to get ahead of this and kind of find those new technologies and start implementing them um, internally as well. And thank you so much for, for sharing this uh, overall context. So now that we uh, you know, get a better understanding of this uh, of the problem here, let's go deeper into the, the low-hanging fruit and more the long-term alternatives uh, solution to, to clean up the, the mining sector in itself. So maybe let's start with your overview of the, the main existing solution in place today, uh, prior to speak about the future innovation that you see uh, in the labs or like uh, earlier stage uh, you know, ventures. Um, I mean, if you can maybe pick a few of them, because we know it's a large, uh, you know, large sectors, uh, but which are the ones that, uh, in a way, are in place today and have been maybe enforced in the last decade? So we know that there is, like, uh, uh, those large companies are aware of and trying to move towards the, the right direction. Um, what are the existing, like, uh, solutions that uh, recently were uh, put in place uh, at, at a larger scale? So I think there are a couple of them here. So I, I kind of already hinted to some of these. As I said, transportation is obviously a big chunk of emissions as well. We do have solutions around transportation. You can have electric fleets to kind of manage that. So that's kind of one immediate one that comes to mind. Um, others are also the machinery on the ground. Again, these can also be electrified and uh, use battery powers or whatever it may be. And I've also come across a few startups, like one that comes to mind is Instagrid, that they actually use it in construction and mining, but it's battery packs for charging, um, <laughs> like on site, so to replace the generators. So those are just some immediate things that come to mind. Um, and then other ones, and this is where it kind of touches more on our portfolio companies, uh, is that you can also do better at, and it's less for mining companies to do this, to be clear, but it's you can also do more to 
reuse the metals we've already extracted. Um, and so that's where kind of the circular economy play comes in. And so for us, it's we have cyclic rare earth, um, rare earth materials recycling, ascend elements, battery recycling, and solar cycle, solar panel recycling. They break it all back down to the kind of those raw materials, and you can put that back into the system. So we're reducing the amount that needs to be extracted. And in theory, that sounds like it's not great for the mining companies, but I think there's just an endless amount that needs to be done across the board uh -huh. and the amount that they're going to have to grow to meet the kind of net zero demand. Th there's still plenty of room for them to continue growing whilst we're also trying to increase the life of all the materials we already have. So speaking about the, the, the future of, uh, of mining and those uh, emerging alternatives, and you already, uh, you know, mentioned some of them, do you see like... Uh, any other ones that you could pinpoint uh, that are really like that have like uh, you know very interesting potential. Uh, some of them might have also some challenges at the early stage, as we uh, all know for for companies. Uh, what which one are the, the most promising and most exciting for you in that sense? So there are two cat like I guess three categories that I find most exciting at least. Um, so first one uh, I'm going to go on the back of the value chain here is around tailings. So as I already said. Only 20% of the mine uh, things are actually extracted from the mine, and it's a liability for uh, the mining company itself. And so, how do we extract more, um, kind of from from the tailings itself? Can we go back and find useful materials from those? Probably. And so, how are we kind of doing that? And so, that's kind of one piece that I really like. Um, and the variety of companies that do them across different metals as well. So, just one that pops to mind is AGT tailings, for example, or Phoenix tailings, and they like extract. Uh, kind of from from the tailings itself, uh, trying to make use increase the useful life of them. And then on the other side, kind of tangentially related is what type of new machinery are we thinking about to actually you know, drill into areas that probably wasn't economical to do a big full mine or increase the amount we can actually extract during the extraction process. So th there's kind of a variety of interesting plays there. So again, one that immediately pops to mind is a company called uh, Novamera. They basically have a precision drilling tool. Like that's kind of interesting. Um, we can go into deeper and, and a more precise way of getting into smaller pockets of minerals. So that that's kind of another one. Um, and then other ones is just like increasing and improving the process of mining. There's a very limited amount of tech right now used across the entire process. And I mean, even like software uh, to improve all of that. Um, what's kind of the health and safety tracking tools that people are using? Uh, how are you actually managing and tracking the amount that's being extracted and where it's going next? Like, are you tracing across your supply chain? All of these questions, again, another full category of things that I think are pretty interesting. And then final one, if we're talking about net zero, of course we have to talk about lithium. <laughs> and so that entire value chain, like who's doing it in terms of better extraction of the lithium? Is there more smarter ways to do it? Um, how are we re um, refining it in a more precise way to also increase the amount of power that comes out of that? So the two that kind of, again, pop to mind. So it's like Summit Nanotech is one. Um, Lilac is a big one, of course, um, and then mangrove on the refining side. And what about deep sea mining? I mean, I heard about that. Yeah. It's also like a lot of like potential controversy. I mean, controversy here. Uh, I see all of those like little like uh, rare mineral earth, like balls of like little pellets or whatever you want to name them uh, on the floor of the ocean. Do you see like a real potential there or do you? think that there is probably a, a thin line that uh, is might be dangerous to cross there. I I worry that it's a thin line that's dangerous to cross. Like 
I just think we just don't know enough about the ocean just as a human species. Uh, it's still a little bit confusing to us. Uh, there's so much we don't know, especially as you kind of go deeper into the ocean. We really don't know that much. And so I just worry that we're going to have really bad unintended consequences to the ecosystem there. Um, and I know we have uh, part of the reason we're in this predicament now of needing to reduce as fast as possible is because we had lots of unintended consequences to our land ecosystem. So let's not also add to the water ecosystem. So taking a, a macro approach and, and stepping back a little bit, I mean, could you tell us a bit more like about the U.S. advantages and maybe weaknesses in regard of innovation and, 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 and production of this new technology that uh, could lead uh, to minor mining sector fully uh, or at least more sustainable? Uh, how do you compare U.S. maybe in terms of innovation uh, compared to uh, China and the uh, EU that uh, now you're like uh, at least your footprint here too? Yeah, exactly. Um, and yeah, and I imagine I'll continue covering EU even when I move back to the US in the fall. But um, but kind of besides the point, um, I think one of the things that the US often has over Europe in when it comes to venture ecosystem is that it's historically been a lot better. Sorry, not a lot better. It has historically been a lot bigger, um, which means that there's just a lot more capital flowing kind of all around. And so like, if you're a mining tech startup, you probably are quite capital intensive. And so if with that in mind, that's great if there's kind of more capital flowing into the sector, but it's only gotten 0.5% of venture dollars historically, as I said. Uh, and so again, clearly there needs more to be done. Um, and I actually think the corporate CVCs in this regard are probably better positioned than most to really capture on this because it is a really complex industry. Like I, I've dug into it a little bit by, you know, doing this deep dive, of course, but Ultimately, like I'm not a geologist. And so like we should lean on those people with those expertise to find kind of the right solution for doing this without the unintended consequences that I mentioned. Um, and the US and EU and Australia, all of which they do have universities that are targeting and focus on this. Again, I'm more familiar with the US market in this, reg this regard, but um, you know, Colorado School of Mines, it's a great university, it's specifically focused on mining. That's kind of where I would look into to find kind of new things um, emerging and coming into the market. Um, and just one thing on the regulation side, both the EU and the US, IRA and EU Green New Deal, we want to onshore as much of this as possible. And so there is money that's focused on kind of onshoring some of these metals. Okay. So to close this uh, this section and kind of wrap up the the all, all the different tools that, uh, that uh, you put out there here during this uh, first part of the interview, I mean... Uh, what would be the the the, for the the major constraint that you have identified to, to clean up the, the mining industry? I mean, do you see any major roadblocks uh, that might not be also, uh, I mean, obvious at first? Um, is it like a new a need of new policies? And I mean, you mentioned like on both sides of, of the Atlantic, there is those, uh, those push there, but is that sufficient enough? I mean, or maybe it's a lack of uh, international coordination or maybe like some funding as well, as you mentioned, like 0.5. Uh, that are going to the to the uh, I mean to to the the, the the ecosystem in itself. So what needs to happen to accelerate the, the movement and in which timeline it sounds realistic to you? Yeah, I think when it comes to sort of a lot of the different segments, um, when we're talking about um climate tech, this is applicable to what I'm about to say. It's just that 
climate change is really complicated and we're, we're talking about very complex multifaceted industries and so we need kind of a holistic approach to solve any of this um and yeah and it's applicable to mining too it's like we do need the large corporates that already exist we do need venture dollars and private equity dollars to kind of help grow some of these companies we need universities to train the next kind of wave of people and we also need government regulation we need it all to kind of work together in one ecosystem because if you lose kind of one of them the whole system sort of breaks like Another kind of data point, like mining has um, actually been losing uh, people year over year. It's not a very popular university degree at this point. And so they actually have lower, lower uh, number of people going into university to do mining. That's obviously a huge problem for us. Like, how do we bolster that? So it's I think it's all of the above um, when we're kind of thinking about this. You, you really do need every single component to be working together, everyone to be incentivized to actually kind of achieve this decar like decarbonization and increasing sustainability. But then to also answer something about the question there in terms of why it hasn't necessarily happened historically. So, I mean, mining, same as any of these other traditional industries like food and ag or real estate, whatever it may be, is slow to adopt technology and has been historically. I think there's a sort of a shift in mentality that's starting to happen, but that is still the case that it is slower. Um, they just kind of know now, uh, maybe it's like financially incentivized, but like they need to start extracting a lot more and a lot faster to kind of meet the demand that's coming. And for whatever reason, that means that they're likely going to adopt more technology. And that's great. Um, and so that that's kind of one of the things. And the other one, we sort of hinted on this, the supply chain is really concentrated. This oligopoly style supply chain does also make it hard for startups to break into. Um, and so again, that's starting to shift because we are wanting to have less reliance on all these different things. And I think COVID kind of also highlighted the People don't want to be reliant on, you know, one specific location and things like that. And so the supply chain is starting to shift now as well. Regulation side, we're starting to see that come through. That's great. Um, the IRA and you know, EU Green New Deal is uh, kind of first things around at least providing capital in that way. I think we'll start seeing additional waves of uh, regulation come through to actually put you know, more like, stricter environmental stance on it. Again, you, you can kind of see it coming through um, more like UN and things like that when it comes to mines in the Congo. But I'd like to see it come through like Australian government um, actually regulating it. And they already have, but, you know, being harsher and stricter on it as well. And I think we'll see that uh, more and more. And then final one, mining startups are really capital intensive, same as any other <laughs> climate tech industry. Um, not all of them, but a lot of climate tech is, of course, very capital intensive. And so all of those things that I just mentioned, do kind of make it uh, less appealing, I guess, traditionally for venture dollars, right? Because it increases our timelines and makes it harder for us to predict our ability to actually make our returns. Um, again, why we need government money and maybe foundation money to supplement where our uh, venture dollars and private equity money can't meet those timelines. Timeline, 5, 10, 20, 30, 2050. Oh, you Ooh. think that... Uh... <laughs> there's so many so many different pieces to put together and like a force to uh, to activate that uh, yeah it's probably very difficult to put like a reasonable timeline but i guess the increasing demand will uh, definitely accelerate uh, things in the right way too uh, yeah i really think it will accelerate everything and the other part is I do think you can already see it um, that mining companies are implementing a lot of these things. And so depends what you mean by the timeline, right? Are we getting to net zero? That's a long way away. But are we reducing emissions? I think that's already we'll start seeing that kind of with the next wave of mines that they'll put out.
I thank you so much for uh, all of those super valuable uh, insights uh, in the, the mining uh, industry and the, the mining tech uh, emerging uh, category that is there that you guys are, are looking at. So very exciting. So we all know that, uh, you know, capital is definitely super important for these stage uh, companies, uh, potentially having like large fund uh, with well-known fund on the cap table is also uh, something uh, very interesting. But what do you specifically, uh, you guys like provide to those uh, company besides uh, and eventually this access to the, the network of uh, LPs uh, that you mentioned? Uh, you know, how do you support those founders? Uh, what are the, in a way, the, the challenges that you see at their stage, the earlier stage, and how do you try to address those challenges uh, internally to, to help them to, uh, to go to the next step? Yeah, I mean, that's obviously, uh, it's a very challenging thing to do, but I would say a couple of things that sort of make Fifth World differentiated um, and is sort of our secret sauce, I guess, is, so I think there are three kind of key things here. So first one, we have really deep industry knowledge and expertise within kind of the built environment. That's kind of how we build our success is around predicting the pain points the built environment may experience and how to scale solutions to actually solve these problems. And so with that, we work really closely with our LPs to like listen to them about like, what are these pain points? Like, what, what are they? <laughs> is the solution that we've come up with, does it make sense for them? Um, why might it create even more pain points on the other side? And so it's like really something that we uh, pride ourselves on. And we spend a lot of time thinking about that and talking to our LPs to kind of address that. Second one is we kind of have this network effect. And so, as you said, uh, we, we do have this great LP base. Um, so for a lot of startups, that's incredible for them because it gives them access to, of course, these LPs uh, so that they're these kind of, customers, a vast asset base that they can kind of immediately tap into. Um, and then the LP side is that they get hand-selected by us, cutting edge solutions to solve some of the problems that they're experiencing on a day-to-day. -day. And actually, I think it goes kind of in both directions where you know, sometimes the LP will give us ideas, being like, hey, this is a company we came across that is solving this thing for us. Maybe it works for you uh, as a good investment and for some other LPs. So I, that's kind of one other one. And then the third one is that you know, we have a really strong marketing team and marketing engine. Uh, we know that it's really important to help our invest, uh, sorry, our um, portfolio companies get their story out there. Because when you're an early stage company, that is a big part of the um, journey is having people being familiar with you, reaching out to you uh, as potential customers, also potential future investors as well. So you're excited by tokenization and all the blockchain-based uh, technology? Or I thought it was like a little bit outdated on the, the investor side, but I'm sure there's still potential there. So maybe speaking on the on the opposite side uh, of the of the spectrum, like all the, the pitches and companies that you see are passing through uh, your desk or, or your screen. I mean, which one are the ones that uh, you are probably less excited about uh, today? In terms of sectors, maybe let's not name anyone here or uh, publicly shame anyone. Yeah. It's not what uh, we want to do, uh, but it's more about like always interesting to understand on the investor side, like what are the things that are less uh, exciting for them uh, at this point? It might change in the future as uh, as always. Yeah, I would say right now, um, a sector that's like a little less exciting for me is around vertical farming. Um uh, that that's one that I I have covered for a while, and yeah, it's a it's a sector that I'm I'm a little bit less bullish on now. Not because I don't think there is kind of macro themes that make it exciting and important. It's more just like we haven't been able to figure out how to make it economical. Um, and I don't think it's fair to make the average consumer um, pay a lot more for their food, which is a, obviously essential 
capital for them to survive, especially in this inflationary environment. And so I'm just like a little down on the sector and it's already absorbed so much capital at this point and we still haven't cracked that code. How do you uh, measure impact? Uh, is there any like framework, uh, team of scientists uh, that you rely on to, you know, kind of assess, especially at the early, uh, early days or any like, you know, uh, criteria that uh, that you have in place that drives investment or it's more about like, okay, we have a strong con uh, conviction and we are convinced about that company. Uh, so yeah. what's, the, what's the framework there? Some funds, as you know, it's like if you have a bit. 10 gigaton or one gigaton, whatever, that's the, comp the, the company that we want to see. And the rest, unfortunately, is not so far. So how is it uh, on your side? So we don't have a hard and fast rule for the amount that a certain company needs to um, abate uh, for us to be excited about the company. would say we we are very thematic in the way we approach the market. So we'll do a deep dive. That's kind of how we get started. And then we find all the companies similar to how I was describing the mining thing. You know, we have a 60 page deck that we put together internally to back up our thesis on the mining side. We do that by each sector and we'll actually go pretty deep into subsectors. Like we'll do one just on heat pumps for residential, for example, et cetera, et cetera. And so any deep dive we even start is probably in something that is going to reduce emissions. And that's kind of the start point for us. Um, but we also want to invest in things like the enablement tools. We wouldn't say we only will invest in those, as you can tell from our portfolio companies, like that's not the case, of course. But we also do think it's important to invest in those to in order to actually get the whole system moving. And so just to name a few, you know, we have a carbon accounting company, for example, and Zero, which is one of the deals I worked on. In and of itself, maybe not decarbonizing, but it's giving people the information so that they can. Um, and then we have a company called EcoCart, which is a kind of e-commerce plugin, a API plugin. And again, it's so that you can buy offsets um, with your shopping cart. Maybe in and of itself, it's more of an enablement tool, but all of these I still think are important. Um, and I say like, no matter how little we're moving the needle, let's move the needle. <laughs> um, and that's sort of, that's my philosophy around this. And um, it's, it's, it's luckily a fifth wall as well. And yeah, we, we put out an ESG report to our LPs where we go through each company and talk through kind of some of the metrics for each individual company. But during kind of the investment process, we aren't saying like, you must be able to hit one gigaton by X year um, in order for us to invest. So more personal question here uh, that I uh, always ask to uh, any founders and investors. I mean, what's your personal uh, you know, view on the on the climate crisis? Uh, I mean, what would you say to, to people who feel like demoralized by all the already visible consequences of, uh, of climate change? Uh, are we doomed? Oh, it's a, <laughs> I hope not. Um, well, I mean, obviously I'm very biased here, right? I've de literally dedicated my career to this. Uh, so I'm very much on a biased source here. I think there are certain elements that I don't know if are reversible, unfortunately. So I think we will continue to see pretty extreme weather events, especially at least for the next 10 years. Um, my hope is, is that if we all work together and genuinely all, uh, every single person who feels a little demoralized, it's like just genuinely all think about this and work together. Um, I think there's a chance that we mitigate some of the worst parts of it. Like let's not have another ice age or something. Right. Um, so that that's kind of my hope for what, what we can do here. Um, and then one thing that I always also want to kind of put out there when we think about this, your emission um, as an individual is directly correlated um, with kind of your like income level. Um, that That's just kind of the, a fact of life. And so a lot of people that are uh, like on the higher income spectrum are also people that are like 
typically uh, kind of more aware on climate change side. And so have, I think, also more of a responsibility, both in terms of like they can make different life choices and make a choice that is more climate friendly, as well as also kind of having that information handy and also being the bigger culprit. So speaking about flight, like do you, uh, you know, uh, compensate your, uh, your flight emission? Do you know any good service? Because I'll be definitely interested to uh, to see how to uh, to compensate. I haven't found any like legit or reliable service where I could like really compensate yeah. my uh, my own personal emissions in a way. Neither have I actually. I I did look into kind of carbon accounting tools for the individual, and there are some apps. There are some that are kind of up there, but. Um, the ones that I came across, I, I wasn't a massive fan when I was trying to use them myself. Um, so I haven't found a good solution. I do have some friends that pay for like a offset, subs offset subscription. And so they just pay a monthly fee and just kind of just have that as their offset. Uh, so that's kind of another option. I also make other types of choices, right? So it's like, I haven't bought an item of clothing brand new in I think six years at this point. And so I will only buy secondhand. And so it's like little things um, to kind of reduce my emissions like that. I try not, I don't cook meat in the house, for example. All of these things. So, like, I know it's it's like all these little things, and I have a real problem around food waste. I hate throwing away food. Um, uh, it's a it's a bit that me and my husband always have that I won't. Let, I make him eat everything that's in my fridge before it it's, can't be thrown away. So, um, like little things like that that I think um, can reduce my emission side. But yeah. I haven't found an app that I like kind of really like on that side. Yeah, but I I, I believe in that's besides the point here, but like really like the offsetting of those planes emission and transport yeah. uh, emission, like even when I, like, uh, you know, I need to change car soon and I will go for electric uh, EV1, but I'm still with some hybrid model uh, type of stuff. Yeah. And I go to the fuel station and how comes I cannot compensate already those ones? Like, you know what I mean? Uh, yeah, I can yeah. take the train and stuff like that. But when you cannot, how can you, uh, you know, offset yeah. this uh, this fuel? But anyway, if you hear anything yeah. or the, for the audience, happy to share that uh, later on the foot uh, on the footnotes. Um, yeah. How can a community I mean, of? Uh, oh, sorry, so I was going to say it's a uh, is that. Um, I mean, I never got my driver's license, so technically I'm very <laughs> sustainable in that regard because I don't drive. Um, so I only ever take public transportation. So that's that's my also uh, thing to offset myself. And on the airplane specifically, some airlines do a pretty good job of offsetting, from my understanding. Like it seems like Delta does a pretty good job of offsetting. And so I don't know if that's a uh, like the Star World Alliance that does that all together. Um, but a lot of airlines in general, they 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 know that they have kind of a problem and so have been investing mm -hmm. a lot on like SAF and things like that. Um, so maybe we can, we're not rely on them, but uh, see what tools that they're using to kind of help us make those calculations. But anyway, if anyone uh, listened to the show today uh, and knows, uh, you know, great solution that are not just greenwashing, because that yeah. might be sometimes the, 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 yeah. the red line that we don't want to cross, feel free to shoot us a, a, a mail or a message. How can the, the community of, uh, you know, listeners of founders, experts, investors listening to the, the show today can, uh, can help you? Yeah, I think it's in a couple of ways. So for other investors, please reach out. I love um, kind of growing my VC ecosystem, my like friends in VC. Uh, so would would love to kind of connect um, and see if we can share deal flow and co-invest in certain things. I like co-leading, co-following, whatever it may be. Um, think we all need to be collaborative here in order to actually move the needle. So that's kind of one side. On founders, if there's stuff that I spoke about in certain sectors that you operate in, we cover all things in climate tech. Like, please reach out. If it's not me, there's someone at Fifth Wall that I can definitely pass you along to. And always excited to kind of meet meet founders and uh, in person or over Zoom. Uh, and so, and we have team members that are based on the West Coast, East Coast, and now me in London as well on the climate tech side. 
Um, and then for experts, whenever we go through kind of diligence process, um, like as I already mentioned with mining, if we were to do a mining, uh, like a mining, a drilling uh, uh, investment, for example, I would need an expert to help me with that diligence process. Like I am not the right person. I'm not, uh, it's like, I don't think I'm, I'm not arrogant enough to think that I should be the person to evaluate that. If you kind of have that background, I would love to hear from you and kind of include you in our network so that we can start like leveraging much, uh, much deeper knowledge uh, that you have um, and your expertise. Any question I should have uh, asked you and I did not for this uh, first part of the interview? <laughs> I don't think so. Um, I feel like we we covered a lot of ground here. Um, so yeah, th there wasn't anything that kind of immediately pops to mind. Um, yeah, there isn't anything that immediately popped to mind. <laughs> Thank you so much, uh, Francesca, for uh, all of your super valuable insights and uh, and spending so much time uh, with us, but also with uh, all of those uh, founders and understanding the uh, the ecosystem, supporting the, uh, the ecosystem as well towards a. Uh, you know, the, helping to, to contribute to solve uh, this massive uh, problem that you are all facing. So thank you so much for uh, pushing the ball towards a, a cleaner world. Yeah, it's my pleasure. I love it. I wouldn't do anything else. Thanks again for joining us on the Tech for Climate podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show. Stay tuned next week for more Climate Tech Insights. In the meantime, head on over to our webpage at startupbasecamp.org where we have lots more insights and resources for anyone wanting to get involved in climate tech. If you find our resources useful, please consider donating to support our small self-funded team. Don't forget to subscribe and share with your friends. And see you next time.